He doesn't always answer the way we want him to, but he does offer himself. It's really important you hear this this morning. If you're struggling in knowing God, if maybe you're struggling with prayer, if you're struggling to, why did this happen? Listen, he doesn't always offer the answers we want, but he does offer himself. See, prayer moves us closer to the heart of God and to know him. And remember, Brian Legg last week talked about the seal of Holy Spirit for us who believe. He talked about, does anybody remember? Nod at me. Remember, you got to talk to me a little bit or I'll die up here. See, if you're a believer, if you're born again, God's Holy Spirit comes to live within you. And he is the revealer. He is the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And I get excited when I think about this. But why do you think God gave you his spirit? Have you thought about that? Have you ever just thought, why did God give me? Why did he make his home Holy Spirit in me? Why am I his home? Why? It's because God was passionate to not only be among his people, but be in his people. He wants us to know him. Man, we have this untapped in resource of a person that lives within us, the third person of the Trinity, Holy Spirit. And God's like, I've given him to you because you're gonna know me through him. Romans says he has poured out his love. God poured his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. I think it's a pretty good idea to get to know him, right? If you wanna know the love of God, if you wanna know the power of God, if you wanna know him and that he's mighty, even when life throws all kinds of things at you, Holy Spirit. You see, God moved in and that is a miracle. We don't tap in enough. In any relationship, you have to reveal who you are, right? It doesn't work out too well if you're in a relationship and you don't reveal anything about your history or who you are or your personality, your likes or dislikes. Well, it's the same with God. And we need this ongoing revelation of who he is. And that's why some relationships fail because people hold it all in. They never reveal things about themselves. They keep this guard up. But God says, I don't have a guard up. The cross removed the barrier. And God wants you to know him, not just him, but his plan. Listen, he is in hiding. He is in hiding. Or sometimes you can be around someone, maybe you've experienced this in life, sometimes in marriage this happens. You can be around someone so much, you forget the beauty of that person. You forget just the amazing personality they have or whatever it is. I heard this pastor, his name is Peter Lord, sounds like a movie actor or something. But he was talking and he was ironically writing a book about the spiritual disciplines. And he was writing in his office that overlooked one of the most beautiful mountains in Colorado. Like the, like the amazing picturesque. He had this huge window. I'm like, dude, I want that office. And this amazing, beautiful, if you've been to Colorado, it's, this is not the desert part, which is beautiful too in Colorado, but the other part of Colorado. Every day he saw the beauty and the majesty of this mountain, but you know how it is. You go through life and he struck him that he had forgotten to look at the beauty outside his window. He kind of thought he knew it all, right? Oh, I've seen that. I've done that. I've been there. It struck him how he stopped seeing the beauty and it took it, he'd taken it for granted. And we do the same with the Lord. He is majesty. He is breathtaking. That is our God. Listen, if, if he created the universe and there's a majesty he's assigned to that, then how much more majestic is he? Listen, we have a mountain to look at 
every day. The beauty of the Lord and it's breathtaking. But see, we can be around the things of God so much we forget to look at the majesty and we exchange a relationship with dead religion. But the Holy Spirit is always ready to impart revelation. He is the spirit of wisdom and revelation no matter what you're going through. So I'm gonna read the scriptures, the rest of our passage today. It says this, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you Remembering you in my prayers, I keep asking. Paul's like, I'm a persistent prayer. So should you be. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And then he goes on to say, I pray also that the eyes of your understanding or of your heart, some translations say, mine says heart, may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Now he's gonna start naming these things. That was the first one, that we need the eyes of our hearts enlightened to, that we would know the hope to which we're called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his, his incomparably great power in us who believe. Now Paul is gonna describe that power. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above rule and authority, power and dominion, every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but in the age to come. And God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus is the head of this church. And when we walk in these doors, it's not about us, it's all about him. So we've learned in the past couple weeks that if you're in him, remember Paul uses this phrase, in, in him, in the beloved. Just an amazing thing, 27 times. He wants us to get it. We're in him, and that's amazing. If we're in him, you are spiritually rich. You may not feel it, but you are spiritually rich. But knowing these riches is one thing, we must grow in our understanding if we are ever going to use them for the glory of God. There was a, a story that Warren Wearsby tells of Mr. Hurst. He was a famous art collector. And at one point he owned a quarter of the world's art. One day he read about a very valuable piece of art in an art magazine. He's like, this is beautiful. And he decided he wanted it. He wanted to buy it. So he called his agents and sent them all over the world trying to find it. The agent searched all over the world, but he couldn't find it. So William Hurst insisted that they find this piece of art. So he sent them out again. Finally, the agent returned and said, Mr. Hurst, I have found the valuable piece of art you have been searching for. And Mr. Hurst said, well, that is wonderful. Where is it? Then the agent said, it was in your own warehouse, sir. You bought it several years ago. He had it all the time. Imagine spending all that time looking for something you already owned. See, there's a lot of Christians that are in that same state. That's why Paul wrote the book of Ephesians so that we would sit and know so we could get up and walk and then we could stand. And that's warfare. That's what stand means. Paul prays not to give them something they don't have, but he prays that God will reveal to them what they already have. But there's a problem. See, with our natural mind, we can't understand the things of God. 
We need the spirit of God to enlighten us. So he prays that the eyes of our heart will be enlightened. Holy Spirit reveals the truth in the word of God. The Bible is a spiritual book like no other. It is God-breathed, and God is the revealer. He's not hiding it, but the eyes of our hearts must be opened to the Spirit of God. Do you know that you have spiritual eyes and ears in your heart? You do. When the kids were little, Jason and Ellie, they would ask, how can I hear God? We'd be praying in their bed at night and they'd be like, I just feel like I can't hear him. How do I hear God? And I would say, well, you have spiritual eyes and ears in your heart. And sometimes we're trying to rely on the physical eyes and the physical ears. And so God wants you to develop those. Just like when you learn a language to understand somebody else. So Ellie took this when she was little, it was really cool. And she came up with this thing I'll never forget. I've, I've shown it up here before. She said, this is the heart. These are the eyes of your heart, and these are the ears of your heart. And I always remember it because she did that. See, the heart is referring to the inner man or the inner being. And the heart has a spiritual senses that parallel the physical senses. The Bible talks about it. The inner man can see, hear, taste, smell, and touch. That's why Jesus, in a negative sense, for those who didn't believe, said seeing, they can't see. Hearing, they can't hear. Their inability was not in the intellect, but in the heart spiritually. See, in ancient times, the heart was the center of your thoughts. And you know where the emotions were? In your bowels. Kind of, you know, oh, I've got butterflies in my stomach. Or you get fearful and you move. Or you're super excited and you feel like that or whatever it is. So you may be like, you know, the emotions are in the bowels. That sounds strange. But it's not when you really think about it. But anyways, that's what they believed. So I want you to listen. Now, your Bible's not going to have this because you know, nobody says this. But listen to these literal word-for-word -word verses with bowels in it, okay? So Lamentations 1.20. I love this. Behold, O Lord, for I am in distress. My bowels are troubled. I thought that was funny. I'm like, we need a poster of that in the men's restroom. Okay. Here's Colossians, because the Greeks believe the same thing. Being filled with bowels of mercy and kindness. I'd rather have that sometimes. <laughs> or in the Song of Solomon, he's talking to his loved one, his beloved. And I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. Baby, my bowels are moved by you. <laughs> now, students, please don't try to get a boyfriend, girlfriend, and say, hey, my bowels were moved by you. It's not going to go so well, Okay. When Jesus, he says, he looks and he says, yeah, I have compassion. I'm moved for them. It, in the Greek, it's, it, literally, it's saying my bowels were moved. I was felt deeply, deeply for my people because they're like sheep without a shepherd. See, one of the big problems we have is relying on emotions, the bowels, if you will, instead of the truth. Emotions can lie to us, people. They need to be educated by the truth. Feelings, you know a train, right? There's a caboose, that's the booty end. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, of the train. And there's the engine, right? Feelings make a great caboose, but a terrible engine. We need truth from the word of God to drive the train. Well, I don't feel forgiven, Brian. I don't feel chosen. I don't feel adopted. I don't feel redeemed. I know you said that a couple weeks back, and then Brian Lake said all this stuff. I don't feel it. So, he says he loves you. Well, I don't feel that way, so what? You're being lied to. 
Stop being moved by your bowels, people. Listen to your heart. Listen to the truth and the word of God. So Paul makes three requests in this prayer of enlightenment. And Paul wants us to know these three things. How would it change your life if you knew these three things? He wants us to know the hope to which we're called. The riches of his glorious inheritance in all the saints. His, and it's really important to hear that, his incomparably great power for us who believe. So the first one, I want to spend a little more time on this, is know the hope to which you are called. Now this is not referring to your specific calling in life. We kind of read it that way. It's not. This is referring to the hope that we are called into heavenward. This world is not our home. We are strangers and sojourners in this land, just passing through, Hebrews says. But if you only knew what God has in store for us here and in heaven, it would change the way we think about life and death. There's a little cute story of a little girl who looked, looked up at the stars in the heavens and said, Grandpa, if it looks this good from the wrong side, what will it look on the right side? Imagine. See, heaven isn't just a destination, it's a motivation. This isn't our home. There are glimpses of glory here, like that Colorado mountain. Man, I'm from Arizona. There's all kinds of glimpses of glory in Arizona, right, my friend? They're all over Arizona. But we can't possibly imagine what he has in store for those who love him. See, the perspective of hope helps us persevere here. That's that call of hope. It's because life is tough and crazy. It's not a hope like the world defines hope, which is, well, I hope something happens. Hope is certain that what God says will come to pass. Hope is solid. It's not I hope so, it's I know so. See, hope is certain of the future no matter what I face today. Jesus demonstrated this calling of hope in Hebrews 12. He says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the one that went before us, the perfecter of our faith. And here's where it, it kind of encapsulates what we're talking about. For the joy set before him, this is the hope he has right here. For the joy set before him, he endured or persevered because this world you will have to persevere and endure. But he persevered and endured the cross, scorning its shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, Jesus was able to endure the cross because he was looking at something better in his future. That's the nature of hope. It was the joy set before him. On Friday, he was looking at Sunday. That's the joy set before him. And it's in a messianic psalm, Psalm 16, 10 through 11. Let me read it to you. This is what he was, the promise. This is the joy set before him. You will not leave my soul in the grave, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life and in your presence is fullness of joy. Listen, some people think of heaven, it's like, woo, you know, you're floating around. You're like, man, somebody get me a bed sheet so somebody can see me, it's heaven. You know, it's like, ah, it, it, that's not heaven. But here's a great definition for heaven. Fullness of joy in the presence of the Lord. When our hearts are finally with the Lord. And then listen what it goes on to say. Remember, we're co-heirs with Christ. And at your right hand are pleasures evermore. That's another way of saying the hope of our calling heavenward. So that we'll persevere through all of life's twists and turns. Jesus, for the joy set before him, ran the race, endured the suffering. Because he had hope. 
It didn't deny the problems and pain of Friday, but he was looking forward and that helped him to endure the cross, death and shame and humiliation. See, our faith, listen, please. If you're struggling right now, listen. Our faith begins and ends with the reality that there is something better in our future and we've got to endure because God is gonna reward our future. That's the nature of the hope of our calling. This kind of hope in no way denies what I'm going through now. It realizes the difficulties that I'm in today, that I'm scratching my head because I don't understand. It's difficult, but I have a promise from God. I struggle at times, but I'm believing that what God says is greater than my circumstances or understanding. Tomorrow's gonna be okay because God's gonna be in my tomorrow. And you know what? He's in my today. And God is greater than my heart and my feelings. And he helps me when it's hard and he comforts me when it's painful. And we have the joy set before us to endure. And he promises joy in his presence for eternity. And there will be suffering here. I hate it. I wish I could stand up here and say there wouldn't be. But there will be. Is it God's will that I live a trouble-free, pain-free life? The answer is no. But you can live a life of hope. There's a joy set before you. Here's the next one. Know God's riches and all the saints, his inheritance. Now, we've been talking about how we're co-heirs with Christ in the inheritance, right? That in, in chapter one, in the beginning, we see the inheritance that we have, right? Not at me if you remember. Lie to me if you have to. This is a holy place. Don't lie. But that was our inheritance. We're learning about that. But that's not what this is talking about. We've been learning about that inheritance. But this is his, his inheritance in us. This is what this means. You are his inheritance. You're part of his wealth. Do you know how much he values you? Does that change you? God considers you his inheritance. Don't doubt your value. When you do, you're depreciating God's property. God would give Jesus to make sure you are his. I wanna say it again. You're God's property. That's pretty cool. Here's the third one. Know God's power in you. And notice, I want to reiterate this, that it's his power. It's his power. We measure God's power in us by the miracle of Christ's resurrection. That's what Paul's saying in this passage. And there's three ways we harness God's power. It's found first and foremost, listen to this, in relationship. We've been talking about that. Know him. And he's given the spirit so we can know him. His power is found in relationship, but it's also found in weakness. We don't like that one. And it's found in obedience. See, the more we know him, the more he helps us to understand his power in us. The word for power is where we get the word dynamite, dunamis, dynamite. It means the capacity to be all that God wants you to be. You got all you need. You just need to know it. You own the artwork. So Paul hammers in the point to make sure we get it. And I love when Paul does this. He starts exploding. It's one of those Paul moments in his epistles. And he starts throwing, lobbing these word, like truth bomb things at us, lobbing them at us. So listen to what he says of this power in us. And what is the exceeding, hyperbolo, beyond imagining, greatness of his power, dunamis, dynamite, toward us who believe according to that working. It's, it's where we get our word energy. Harnessed energy, power at work of the strength, the manifest power of his might, strength, whether physical or moral. I think Paul's trying to say something. I think he's got something to say. Well, I don't feel powerful. 
I feel weak. Listen, I feel weak all the time. And God says, step into something by obedience, and I find his power's there. Power doesn't come way back here. It comes when you step into obedience. Well, I don't feel powerful, but we harness his power in weakness. We're described as pottery here. We're earthen vessels. Pottery isn't very durable. It's susceptible to cracks and scars. So are we. But his power shines through the cracks and the scars. His power is made perfect in weakness. We also harness the power by obedience. Here's what we usually think. This is kind of a lean-in moment, I think. For me, it is at least. Maybe not for you. Maybe you got this. I don't always have this. I'm a feeling guy. I'll just be truthful. I'm a feeling dude. I'm like, I'm good with feelings driving the train, but I've learned over time that's not a good thing. But here's what we think. Well, God, make me feel powerful, and then I'll obey. Many people never discover what God could do in their lives because they keep waiting to feel powerful before they act. But it's when you do something, when you step out in faith, it's that's when the power begins to flow, not before. See, we also need this power because we're in a spiritual battle. See, sit, walk, and stand. You're like, well, how does stand? What does that even mean for warfare? Well, it, it's referring to the Roman soldiers. They had these spikes on the end of their like crazy shoes. I don't know what they're called, sandals. Thank you, Brian, for finally thinking of that. And so what they do is they would plant those in the ground and they would stand. They would take their stand against the enemy and those spikes would go into the ground for extra leverage to stand up against the enemy. You're in a spiritual battle. Our students are in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual battle in this world. The philosophies of man, the spirit of antichrist in the world. There is a spiritual battle all around us happening. And he, so he goes into this. And he does this. So he's saying these five things in us. But there's five other words in Ephesians of another kind of power that he's going to contrast this with. And these powers are often hostile to God. Let me read it real quick. He is exalted. That is Jesus is exalted far above all principalities and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named. Now he's talking about these powers that are antichrist, these powers in the spiritual realm that are against him. And he's gonna revisit this in Ephesians 6, 12. But Paul's making a point here. Let me read the Ephesians 6, 12. Our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the world's rulers of the darkness of this age, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. But here's why Paul introduces this really early of the spiritual battle. Because of the cross and resurrection is his ascension to the right hand of majesty, all those enemies we face, everything is challenging in our lives. They are already under the feet of Jesus. And when we're sitting, we need to remember that, that all the enemy is already under Jesus's feet. See, before you go into the battle, you need to know that the enemy is under Jesus's feet. And there's a beautiful promise in the end of Romans that says the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So you're like, well, Brian, is it under his feet or my feet or God's doing it under my feet? What's the, what's the deal? This is what's so neat to think about. Where's his body? Where's his body? And you're like, okay, Brian, I don't get it still. See, when God tramples the devil, he uses your feet because you're a part of his body. 
and he promises the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Whatever your struggle is, whatever it is, some of you just need to like stamp the ground just symbolically to be like, look, devil ain't got nothing on me. I'm born again. I'm redeemed. I'm covered by the blood of the lamb and no enemy shall prosper against me. No weapon formed against me will prosper. But we forget. Band, you can come up. So here's my question this morning. Will Paul's prayer be answered in you? Will you pray this power over your family? Listen, Jen mentioned my struggle with depression. I can confidently say that God has healed me in many ways. But it's because I began to internalize the truth and not let emotions lead. I begin to step by faith, not because I felt it, but by faith into truth. Guys, so many of you are held back when God has released you. Some of you are praying for things that you already have and God's given it to you already. You just gotta believe it. And we'll start to learn how we get up and walk, right? And then how we stand. But right now, it's a moment in your life to say, God, do I believe this stuff? Do I believe this stuff? Will I internalize it? Will I go after you even when it's hard, even when I don't understand? Will I persevere? Will I endure? Will I remember the hope that's already mine? Listen, there is hope. There is hope. I want to say it again. I don't know why God's putting this on my heart right now. I feel Holy Spirit moving because I feel like in our nation and world, there's a spirit of suicide. I don't know why God's doing this, maybe in the room, maybe someone watching, I don't know. I believe the devil is trying to take down many, many people because they don't have hope. But you're a believer. You have hope right there to take your stand against every enemy. And whatever you're battling, if it's something from your past, if it's a sin, if it's a depression, there is hope. There is hope in Jesus' name. There is hope in the one who died on the cross and set us free from our sins by his powerful blood. His blood, the blood of Jesus is not without effect. But you must step into faith. You must go to the places God says to be obedient and you chase after God. Listen, I got to hang out on Thursday night with some students who are chasing after God that are crawling up on the altar to be living sacrifices, a whole sacrifice, not a little bit of sacrifice, a whole sacrifice. And Christians, believers in this room, there's some of you that only get halfway on the altar. That's all I'm giving, God. It's a whole sacrifice. The whole sacrifice must be burned and consumed. And you are a living sacrifice. Get on the altar. Listen, the sacrifice isn't important. The wood on the the altar is not important. It's the fire of God that falls on us that's important. It's all about Jesus. Guys, it's time to worship. It's time to look at that mountain again. That mountain you've passed by, you used to think was so beautiful. Then the questions got in your mind, the doubts, or you just, maybe just casually, you've seen it so many times, been there, done that. It's time to look out your window again to that mountain. To the mountain that's beautiful. The rock of ages, 
Jesus. We will never tire. We will never tire of seeing the beauty and majesty of Jesus in heaven. And that excites me. Sometimes we wear down here, but that's why God gave us his spirit. What I'm asking is come alive. Come alive in Jesus' name. Church, come alive. Come alive. Be obedient. Offer a sacrifice of praise in this place. Let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you are the king of glory, that you are breathtaking, God, that our words can be so impressive about what we say to you, but they still don't capture your glory, the glory of the Holy One the God of all the universe. And Father, I pray for every heart in this room that they would have ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, I pray today that they would humble themselves, that they would see that sin of doubt, that sin of whatever it is, it's it's pride. And they would humble themselves and seek you with all their hearts. Father, you have made a promise that if we seek you, we will find you if we seek you with all our hearts. Father, that we'd be a full living sacrifice crawling up on the altar, not half of us, not just offering a toe or whatever it is in our spiritual life, but all of us. God, I'm praying for a surrendered people in this church. I'm praying for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better. I'm praying that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened to know the hope to which we're called, the glorious riches of your inheritance and all the saints. And Father, to know your incomparably great power in us who believe the same power that rose Christ from the dead. Hallelujah, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship. Before we start singing this song, the Lord's just been on my heart this whole time, just about this song and what we're singing. It's called King of Kings. And it just, it's, it talks about the character of who we are without Christ.